And I think a lot of times we approach things like the birth of Christ like that. We think, uh, you know, uh, today we're going to talk about the birth of Christ, and we just kind of talk about it. We share it with our kids, and, you know, that's it. But truly, it is uh, an amazing thing. Like, God became one of us. Uh, this is the moment in history when God became man. Uh, we call this the incarnation or the doctrine of the incarnation. Uh, and what's even more amazing about this is God entered into this world, became one of us in order to save us. One of my uh, favorite sayings that I like to think about when I'm thinking about the Bible is the saying that uh, you can't make this stuff up. And the, the idea of this saying is that some things that are true are so unique that it's not a story that we are creative enough to invent on our own. And so the story uh, sort of testifies for itself that it's not something from human thought. Uh, it's not something that we could produce. And I think about this a lot uh, when I read the Bible because there's a lot of things in the Bible that are like this for me. Uh, the idea that God was really born a baby. Uh, he became not just a man, but a regular man. Uh, and he grew up uh, and went through all the phases of growing up to be a human. He learned to walk, he learned to speak, he learned to um, do things that, that he created, uh, abilities that, that he formed. Um, and I don't understand all the reasons why all this happened, but I do know that if we were to try to invent some kind of story of God becoming one of us, it wouldn't go like that. Um, so it truly is amazing. And what we're going to talk about today, or kind of go through the today is when this information first was announced and people first saw this happening, they were truly in awe. And what I want, want to invite all of you to think about during this time is that it truly is an awe-inspiring event uh, that we should, we should spend some time thinking about and discussing uh, among us. So our passage today is Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Uh, just to review a little bit, uh, we covered in the previous two weeks, uh, chapter 1, and at a, at a high level, we were introduced to the idea that there's a prophet that's coming named John the Baptist. There's a prophecy about him uh, being born, and all we know about John the Baptist up until this point is that he's going to prepare the way for the Lord. We don't know exactly what that means, but he's going to prepare the way for the Lord. And then we also get a prophecy that uh, Jesus is going to be born, and we don't know exactly who this is yet. But Jesus is uh, going to be born of a virgin, and because of that, people are going to call him the Son of God. And, and he's going to be a king that reigns forever. So uh, we don't know exactly what that means, but he's going to be a king that reigns forever, and he's going to be born from God. So a little context of the time Israel during this time was a conquered nation. They had been conquered about 400 years or so before, um, and they had not uh, been a, a separate nation since then. And in this time, they were under Roman rule. And in the past, when Israel had been conquered, eventually God had delivered them in some way and reestablished them as a, as a nation. So the people of Israel are awaiting this to happen again. And they also know from the Old Testament there were prophecies of a Messiah coming. And they would have viewed this at the time as, a, as a, a, probably a human leader. They weren't necessarily thinking that this was going to be God incarnated. 
but uh, a leader that would come and establish a kingdom that would last forever. So they have these prophecies, and, and they have examples from the past of God reestablishing their kingdom, and this is the setting that they first find out about uh, Jesus' coming. So starting in, uh, in chapter 2, verses or 1 through 3, it says, In those days a, a de- decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. So what I want you to notice from this is just, you know, they're under Roman rule. Caesar was the uh, Roman emperor. Uh, He declares a a census that everybody needs to be registered, and literally the entire Roman Empire has to go home uh, to, like, check a box that they exist so that uh, the empire can run things. So we see how just how much they are under Roman rule and Roman control. Um, reading on, and starting in verse 4, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was one of the house, or because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So here, um, you know, Luke is about to announce that Jesus is the Messiah, but to do this, and something he does throughout the book of Luke, is he demonstrates that the Messiah's fulfillment of, of Old Testament prophecy. What he's announcing here is a really big thing, and obviously um, it needs to be confirmed in some way. Historically, God always announces what he's going to do before he does it. So two prophecies here uh, he's pointing out that, that are being fulfilled by Jesus. First, that he's in the line of David. Uh, so David was the greatest king of Israel, and the Messiah was supposed to be of the line of David. And then the other uh, prophecy is that he was going to be born in uh, Bethlehem. The Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, and he's, he's describing how they got there. So reading on in verse 6, and while they were there, the time came for, for her to give birth. This is Mary. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling, swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So for me, uh, this is a really interesting point, and it is one of the reasons why I find the Bible to be so compelling. So to me, the Messiah being born in a manger is really counterintuitive. Uh, what we're getting from this story is that these are regular people in a regular situation. They get forced by this census out of their home to go to Bethlehem. Then, because of overcrowding at the time, there's no room in the hotel. So because they're normal people and they have no big connections or anything like that, they end up staying in a stable because that's the best place they can find. And... His wife gives birth because that happens when it happens. And, and the best place that they can put uh, the, their baby is, is in a manger, literally a, a trough, like a horse trough. But also, uh, this is God being born into the world. And he could choose any way to come into the world, but he chooses to come into this situation, into this family with these regular, ordinary people. And I'm just overcome by the humility that God takes in this moment to enter into the world and literally to be put into an odd situation. We're going to see later that the angels refer to it as a sign, a sign that, um, that 
this baby is the the Messiah is that he's the one in the horse trough, literally. So these kinds of things are really counterintuitive because if we were to make up some kind of story about how God was going to come to into this world, I doubt anybody would come up with that story. Um, but the Bible is very honest, and when you're telling the truth about what happened, you don't avoid details that are counterintuitive. You say what actually happened. And we see this in the Bible, and we don't see this in a lot of other, uh, or in other religious writings. Uh, we see a lot of admission of problems in the Bible, of uh, errors that people make. The greatest leaders in the Bible all fail except Jesus. Uh, these are the kinds of things that, to me, give credibility to the story being told. And so even though this information may seem like just kind of sharing the setting, it also becomes really important when we start trying to understand, is this true or not? Can we trust what Luke is saying? So, um, the next part of this story, he's going to introduce us to some shepherds that were nearby. He says in verse 8, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. So these shepherds, uh, they're not special in some way. They're just regular folks. Uh, they happen to be nearby, and they're about to be invited to the birth of Christ. This is a huge honor. God could invite anybody he wants. And again, he invites regular folks, shepherds, uh, that happen to be nearby. And he does it in an extraordinary way. Uh, but still, the theme, one of the themes throughout Luke is that God uses normal, everyday people. Right now, I'm uh, entering into ministry. I've just started seminary. And sometimes there's an idea uh, in that in, in our community, I guess I'm part of this community now, um, that if you go into ministry, you're doing some really important work. And yes, it's true, but also uh, we don't see that God really uh, treats people in different vocations like their vocation makes them more important. Uh, God chooses people that are humble and following him, and he may guide them in all kinds of different things because God may have a plan for them to be used in a field as a shepherd, or he may have a plan for them to be used uh, teaching in a synagogue. But the point is that we need to follow God and be, be where we're supposed to be, to do what we are called to do. And here we have some, some shepherds uh, that are doing their calling, and they're going to be called to one of the biggest events in history. So it says in, in verse 9, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were filled with great fear. So when God or an angel appears to people in the Bible, the reaction is always fear. It's not fear because God is going to judge them in some big way in that moment. Usually when God appears to you, it's a good thing. He's announcing some good news. He's blessing you in some way. Uh, but that doesn't make it not terrifying. It's still terrifying. And so we see this reaction of, you know, you're just a regular guy in a field. It's a dark night. You're watching some sheep. It's not exciting. Then an angel appears in front of you. There's light all around you. It would be absolutely terrifying. And so the first thing that the angel says to them is, fear not. Don't worry. Uh, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That, that will be for all people. 
So the angel immediately sets them at ease. I'm not going to harm you. I've got some good news for you, not just for you, but for all people. This is a big announcement. And the angel says, uh, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is, the, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So this announcement itself is very spectacular. Uh, the angel announces that a Savior is born. This uh, has happened in the past. There have been other deliverers. The word Savior can mean deliverer, somebody who's going to save us from something. And as I stated, they're under Roman rules, so you know they're probably thinking like an Old Testament judge that comes and delivers them and rules over them. Uh, this would have been great news, though, very exciting news. But then he says, Christ the Lord. So the next part of the title that the angel uses for Jesus uh, is Christ. Christ is the Greek translation of the word for Messiah. So here uh, he's stating very clearly that this is not just any Savior coming. This is the Messiah coming. But then he adds to it, the Master is the actual translation of the word. But this is, the, this is a word that Luke continuously uses throughout his book to indicate God. So he's the, the meaning cannot be mistaken here. He is saying that unto you is born today uh, the Messiah, and he's here to save, and he is God. He is our master. And you can find him in a horse trough. Like, that's literally what it says. Um, and so, you know, this, and it refers to this as the sign, the sign that you'll know that you've found the right baby is that he's the one in the manger. Um, and so we have this glorious event, this amazing thing happen of God being born as man and all the confusion and wonderment around that. Uh, and then, and yet he's going to be found in the most ordinary of circumstances with a regular group of people. So the reaction or sorry, at, at this announcement, the, the angel makes this announcement, and it's as if uh, immediately in that moment it says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. So after the announcement, it's as if the, the whole sky erupts in praise to God. So you would have been a little bit intimidated already. <laughs> but now, literally, you're surrounded. And the word that, that uh, Luke uses here when he says heavenly host, he says heavenly troops. So it's like an army of angels all around you, and they are praising God for how great he is in this moment. And they are saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So they come out. One of the things I, I notice in the Bible, whenever God is praised by angels or by uh, people writing uh, poems or psalms in the Bible, the focus of the psalms or the praise is always very one-dimensional in praising of God. Sometimes in our music today, we have a tendency to talk a lot about ourselves and a little bit about God. But we see in Scripture, you know, the fullest expression of worship is really completely God-focused, and it's self-forgetful. Uh, the angels never talk about themselves. They're overcome with the gloriousness of God. And in this moment, what he's doing, that he's come into this world to save into an ordinary circumstance, uh, 
really to experience and be one of us, uh, to save us. So reading on in verse 15, And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. What hit me here is, this would have been my reaction too. Uh, you know, I've just had this incredible experience of being told that there is a Savior born nearby uh, and that I can find him and see him. Well, my, my re- reaction would be, well, I want to go investigate. I want to see this thing. I wouldn't say, well, gosh, we've got to watch these sheep for another couple of days, and then I'll see if I can request off, and then I'll go over there and check that out. No, it's, uh, hey, let's, let's go check this out. And what I think about is when I approach the Bible, sometimes I'm not like that. Uh, I don't approach it with that kind of excitement, and yet it has actually more information about what God has done, and I can discover more about God, the same God, um, and I should have similar excitement, and I sometimes have to remind myself of just how exciting all of this is. So in, in verse 16, it says, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in, in a manger. So Sure enough, as foretold, as the angels prophesied to them that they would find this baby in a manger, they find this baby exactly as expected. And their reaction um, in verse 17 is, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. So their immediate reflex is to tell people, I have now seen that this is true, this is real, and They don't say, well, gosh, I need to figure out how to explain this to people. I need to figure out how to present this. This is going to sound really strange, but this baby is actually God and is actually going to save us. No, they immediately just tell people. Because when you truly come into full um, awareness of what God has done, that is your reaction. You're excited and you do want to tell people. So the saying, um, sorry, Uh, In verse 18, it says, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, uh, pondering them in her heart. So I noticed a couple things here. There appears to have been several people here. We don't know who or uh, why they were there. But we do know that the reaction of everyone that was there was amazement at what these shepherds were saying. I imagine that these shepherds would have been noticeably excited uh, and not able to contain themselves describing what they had seen. And, and so the, the reaction is a natural reaction. I can't believe they are saying these things. Uh, but Luke, in his detail, also uh, points out that the reaction of Mary is very thoughtful uh, with these things. Uh, when the angel appeared to her first to tell her about uh, Jesus coming in chapter 1, It says that she was troubled what the angel had said. The angel had told her that she was going to have a baby and she wasn't even uh, fully married yet. And she was troubled and afraid, but it also says that she, uh, the terms used is like she wrestled with this, trying to understand or decipher what God was doing. And we see the same reaction here. Like these big things are happening and Mary is always trying to ponder and understand what God is doing. So when we put these things together, I think we see a nice picture of, of our reaction 
to, to this information. First is excitement and, and the desire to investigate further, the desire to want to know what really happened and really understand what God did, uh, that it's true. Uh, the second is just to, to start telling people about it because of our excitement that, that God is doing something so great. And the third is to really study and consider it, to ponder what God is doing. And, and then in con- conclusion... Uh, Luke says in verse 20 that the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So what they're praising God for, the end result, is that the shepherds' lives are changed. Their night was a normal night, um, and now they are overcome with praise of God, glorifying him for how great that he is. And specifically, uh, that he did what he said he was going to do. That God is trustable, he's faithful. He said that there was going to be a baby uh, that they were going to find. He appeared to them in this great big uh, way, and then they find it exactly as described. So Luke is inviting us to celebrate in this moment. We should also be glorifying and praising God for what uh, these shepherds heard and saw. God became man to save us from our sins. We call this the doctrine of incarnation. God became flesh, and it's important because we're sinners by nature and God is just. Justice must be served. The natural result of sin is death. It destroys, but God is the source of life. In order for us to be reconciled to him, our sins needed to be paid for by someone. But it couldn't be paid for by a normal man because all of us are sinners. It had to be somehow atoned for in another way or paid for in another way. It is our nature that is the problem. But God, and so God had to defeat our nature. And the way that God chose to do this was to enter in and and join in with us in our nature and then defeat it. I don't know why he chose to do it that way, but what's exciting to me about this and what's truly incredible about it is that God is who he is. Uh, He's always who he has been, and he always will be the same. And so when we learn this information about God and what he's doing, we're learning about who he is. A lot of people in our culture today uh, do not believe that God exists, uh, or they believe that they can not only manipulate or control God, but that he is who they believe him to be. For me, This is a ludicrous idea. Uh, God is who he is apart from all other things. Uh, This is what it means when he says, I am. Uh, The idea is that I exist. I exist of my own. Nobody created or caused God. God is who he is. He is unalterable and his nature cannot change. And so because of that, what we can, the only thing we can do is really discover him and how incredible of a thing then it is to discover that he became one of us in order to save us from our sin. Since he is always the same, the fact that he did this reveals who he has always been. He is a God and has always been a God that sacrifices himself 
to save a rebellious and undeserving uh, group of sinners. This is the awe-inspiring action of the Incarnation. He sacrifices himself to save us, and we should praise him for it. Christ fully became one of us. And what I would like to challenge us to do today is to talk about this. I feel like when we talk about it, we talk about it like it's just a small thing, like Christ was born. We don't talk about how big of a thing this was, that he became one of us. He came down from heaven and entered into a normal life, lived a normal life, and really in Jesus' life itself, there's nothing really spectacular that happens until he starts his ministry. And so he just lived a regular normal life for 30 years, just like us, before starting into his ministry. Some of this is mysterious, but I think it's something that we really need to consider and glorify God in. And he did all of this so that he could save us. So, let's pray. God, I just, uh, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for how great you are. I thank you for all that you've done for us. Uh, We can't imagine what it would be like uh, to be you, but you definitely can imagine what it's like to be us. And the fact that you humbled yourself to join with us and to defeat our sin, to take our sin upon you, is truly an amazing thing. And God, we just praise you for that and thank you for the opportunity to know this uh, and to glorify you uh, for who you are. And God, we just ask that you would help us to truly uh, understand this and to spend time with each other glorifying you and understanding this together and that you would help us to communicate this to other people. It's in your name we pray. Amen.